Hello and welcome back to SparkleCast. This is episode number eight and this is Philip. And this is the episode where I interview Dougie Wydick. Mr. Doug Wydick is a performer in New York City. He is a rapper, a singer, a musical improviser. He starred in Blank the Musical Off-Broadway and created North Coast, a rap group that has toured all around the country. He is an entrepreneur, an imagineer, and a man close to my heart and friend. Enjoy our episode in which we talk about everything from reinventing yourself toward how to feel good on a daily basis. Check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to SparkleCast, episode one million. I've done a million episodes by now in my Yay. dreams. Uh, this is Dougie Wydeck. Uh Douglas Wydeck. Uh It's Wydeck, right? Yeah, it's it's Wydeck, yeah. A lot of people say Wydeck or... Uh, Wydeck sounds like great expectations. It does. It's, it sounds like a kind of a pr- old Protestant, uh, like, f- family heirloom name. Like, yes. The Wittics. The Wittics. A downtown. place. <laughs> um, when I moved to college, when I went to college, I yeah. invented a new name for myself. I mm-hmm. told everyone freshman year that my name was Pip. What? Why? You just, like, that excited you? Did it give you a rush to say that to people? I just, I was like, take a leap. Like, you can reinvent yourself. Oh, my God. That's such a, that's, like, such a college kid thing to do. I feel like when you go, when you go to college, you're like, I'm this new person for, like, the first year or two. And then by the third and fourth year, you're just like, no, no, I'm me. (laughs) Yeah. Which is the journey of life to become you. Yep. Yep. You run away so that you can end back directly where you started. The loop. Yeah. Rope it back in. Yeah. How many times have you reinvented yourself, Doug? Every day. Yes. (laughs) I wake up and I put my skin in scalding hot acid and then I grow back together. Grow back to myself. Well, if you can't tell already, Doug has a a wide imagination and he is a performer in New York City. We have the pleasure of improvising now. When do we meet? Do you remember? Okay, so we met. Uh, what was the through, moment? I think someone recommended Happy Karaoke that I re- that I contact you, uh, and I had heard that you were the guy behind Annoyance, and uh, I think it was like three years ago. Might have been Kathleen Armenti. Mm, yeah. A gem of a person. H- human gem, walking diamond, canary diamond. I hope to have her on this soon, you on should. the millionth and one episode. You should. Um, and Doug, you perform, yes, with Happy Karaoke, which is a, a show that I created. And the casting in New York has truly been, I mean, that's like, uh, we're going to talk about long-term producing and how you keep things going because entropy wants everything to end. Yeah. But talking about reinvention, that was the thing where finally we got a cast that could sing, improvise well, and actually liked playing with each other yeah. by the grace of the divine. Uh. And that was the best. That's probably the most fun I've ever had in my life is you, me, Nikita in that oh one show, God. three prop. It was seriously one of the most... The Coca-Cola bear and uh, Al Gore. And Tipper and Gore. Tipper Gore. It was like one of my favorite shows. Someone left a Yelp review. I remember <laughs> Michael that. Hughes. He still comes to our shows. Oh yeah, Michael Hughes, very That's attractive so man. Very attractive of man, Michael Hughes. Straight. If you're listening, you are very attractive. Yes, I'm going to send this to Michael. Send it. Um. So, 
So, Dougie, you're a staple. You also do have a thing that you created called North Coast. What's North Coast? So, North Coast is a hip-hop improv team based in New York. We've been together since 2009. I'm a founding member, but I am not the founder. The founder's name is James Robolata. He is uh, the other only original member from North Coast who consistently plays with us still. We perform every Saturday at the Pit at 9 p.m., and it's one of the my favorite things to do. I love it so much. It's really fun. You sounded just now like you have done that speech a million times. <laughs> you have introduced that thing. I mean, I get you want it. You to change it? I'll change no. it. We're a bunch of guys. We meet up. We eat pasta. We go to bed. That's we pasta? North yeah. <laughs> like North Coast, we love to eat together. Half of our shows are about cheese. I don't know if you've seen more than one North Coast show, but half of our shows, we wrap every type of cheese we know. We're like mozzarella, gouda, parmesan, and bubata. We go with, and then we're gonna eat that Asiago. And yo, so, wait, more so of that. that. Like, more boom, of that. Dental. I want to hear what you can do. Okay, okay. What side you want? Because I'm get to get a block of Parmesan. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not like Pablo Naruda. I'm eat that cheese and I'm getting at that Gouda. Oh, oh Dougie! Hey. Your skills. I I've lost the ability to rhyme in musical improv because I think I just don't care anymore. Yeah. And that's fine. But your skills, you just do you rhyme in your sleep? Do you wait? Do you rhyme in the shower? Uh, I do. I I rap all the time, especially when I'm around other North Coasters. We just burst into raps together in the car. In the car, on the plane, we've we've freestyled for flight attendants. We've <laughs> do they I, like? They love. It's very fun. Um, we were on the way to New Orleans. We did a big rap about a bunch of women who were heading to an optometry convention. Uh, it's just like the, it never ends. It's like a it's it's part of being on the team is never not rapping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we like it. It's good. It's like you know that you're doing the right thing if you can't stop doing that thing because mm-hmm. once it becomes the dredge and the oh I got well, I got to get out of bed thing you might not be heading to the right place you might not be going to the right destination so i think that there has to be a natural you talked about entropy i think there has to be a natural momentum a natural what's it called when you can't stop moving uh centrifugal no um it's inertia inertia yeah Yeah. an object in motion wants to stay in motion yeah i think there needs to be a natural inertia creatively uh and if there isn't it could be burnout you could still love that thing but i also think that inertia will come back to you when you take a break and you actually relax a little bit so if you are feeling burnt out and the inertia creeps back in then that is something you love but if you just can't get back in it you should question if it's for you and value your time and value your time on this earth yeah you are one of the busiest people i've ever met in my life (laughs) the only you're one of the busiest people i've ever met in my life who emails more probably you I mean, you've left you've left mid meal with me to go put out fires to be like, ah, oh my god, the insurance is calling for annoyance. Yeah, but uh, we both email a lot, and I think we're both good at shortcuts in email. We're both good with hyperlinks. We're both we're good both at canned good. responses. Yes, all the things that make Gmail so wonderful. Yes, 
Uh, I only communicate in gifts now. Yeah. Everything I want to say is, is yes, in gifts. Yes, queen, I'm a baby. <laughs> I'm a dog baby that says yes, queen. <laughs> uh, speaking of, I finally launched my dog star's Instagram. Perfect. Uh, I'm curating her voice, by the way, at star the lab. Please, I need a million followers. At star the lab. While we're plugging stuff at Sweet Tea Studio BK, where we're recording right now, but Star the Lab, dog celebrity in the making? We hope. She has it in her, but she hasn't taken off yet. It's my fault. It is your fault because Star is a local comedy people celebrity. Legend. Everybody knows Star. What? Le- legend. Legend. She's a local legend. And what in, in order for you to branch out, you got to start hashtagging Star intensely more videos maybe like a music video where like star has like a birthday hat on and you're like happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday to star yeah okay wait back to the i thought about this if you can't take the bad with the good you shouldn't okay. be doing it, okay? So when I graduated college, yeah, yeah. if you, I mean, like, when I graduated college, I was in a play that was one of the worst plays I've ever been in. I was acting in it opposite a guy that never changed the way he said a single line. I could have slapped him, and he would have still said the same way. Yeah. Six shows a week, had to cry in every show. Oh I hated God. it. Robot acting. And I was like, if I can't take this, which is bad, then I should not be an actor. Whereas in improv, I can deal with a bad improv show. Yeah. Can you? I can deal with a bad improv show because it's over. It's done. And what we can do is we can self-examine, self-reflect, but then move the f- on. Mm-hmm. You know, we can get away from it and we can work hard in rehearsal, self-diagnose, and try to then improve from that moment forward. I think um, looking back on any show too much, longer than like the, like the three to four hours after it, <laughs> you might have a problem and maybe you shouldn't do long form because there are going to be bad shows. It's improv. What we're shooting for is hitting triples, right? If you, if you bat 300, you're in the Hall of Fame. That's like low percentage-wise. But you want to be doing good enough work consistently that your bad shows are still better than the worst show. So your worst show on average isn't that bad. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I've heard that in like your best show when you started out, Mm -hmm. like that one magical first experience when everything clicked, your worst show as an experienced supervisor should be at that level or better. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I find that I know enough tricks now to take the media to at least make a show mediocre. Yeah. Tricks. Improv tricks. I know. Right. Isn't that something they say in class bios? They're like, stop using tricks and start playing organically. And in the moment, I feel like I've read that before. Right. Yeah. Also, the, the don't talk about shows after Mick Napier, who runs the annoyance. That was a big thing that he taught me of like. You never talk about your great shows in excruciating detail. You can barely remember what happened because you were just having the time of your life. But your bad shows, you talk, some teams talk endlessly at the bar about them. Yeah. And like you said, it's a hit rate. The best improvisers in the world have 70% good shows, I bet. Yeah. And they still have duds. I've even seen a night that I would consider an off night for the what I consider the, like the best show, which is Improvised Shakespeare. I just love Improvised yes, Shakespeare. Queen. And I saw one show where I was like, I think that was like a slightly off night for them. But it was still so good because they were hitting like i was actually having a conversation this morning with some canadian improvisers about the sports to improv analogies Uh and i love that i think it's like 
first of all, you can't, there's nothing proprietary about improv, but the playbook is like kind of the only thing that you can kind of own. Like if you rehearse with your team enough, you can understand how certain people might run a certain play. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So you get those instincts. You're rehearsing instincts when you do improv. So I guess uh, what I'm saying is, is the way you, a team like uh, Improvised Shakespeare is so consistently good is because they're rehearsing their instincts together so well. So even their worst show has so much instinctually correct about it. Mm-hmm. And they they instinctually know how to play with each other mm-hmm. and also fuck with each other. That's the hallmark of a great improv team I to me that. is when you can literally know what's going to get on, like make the person across <laughs> from you laugh and you play to that. Yes. Like um, I... I love pimping you into naming things because you have oh you delight God. in naming things. I do. <laughs> um, and it's like, if I can set you up for that, it makes me very happy. And then yeah. you get happy and then the show gets happier. <laughs> yeah, and freaking Richie Alfson, we were in D.C. at Laugh Index. Shout out to Nancy Safavi. And we... Uh, I was in. I was there too, the, the week later. Weekend. And yeah. then Annoyance That's did the week after like that. that Nancy Safavi, bring us all there. Bring us all to your house. I love your mother so much. <laughs> and um, she's the best. She's like, hello, dog, when I come there. <laughs> She's so great. Uh, so so what I was going to say is Richie pimped me into, it was actually cl- textbook, probably some, not the best improv move, but he kept making me this German character throughout the show and then like had me break dance and he was like pimping me into this insane shit, but the audience was going insane because they could tell that I didn't really want to be doing it. Huh. But I, it was like, I committed, I said yes. Uh-huh. And I did that stuff that he was pimping me, and like I think when you can mess with each other in improv, that is the mark of a team that hangs out, knows each other, knows each other's strengths, and can pimp people like me, naming things like you said. Um, and I love pimping you into just like really bizarre, like almost like adolescent male adult strange men. Like sounds like who I really am. Yeah, just like but like people who are like. Oh, 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 kind of characters. Like, oh, it's Colonel Pipping Longstock or something. Oh, I say, I say. <laughs> we, we've got to get on ballet together. <laughs> exactly. And you lit up in that moment. Like, maybe I lit up when you told me to name things. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I also think that there's something to... Improvisers work very hard to make it all look seamless Mm -hmm. but i think sometimes when you let your seam show a little like we can see dougie reacting to this pimping thing Mm -hmm. it humanizes you the audience loves it Mm -hmm. and there is such a thing of like oh i philip broke for a second there and then i throw myself back into the character but you as a human you're 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 not just trying to be a a a perfect robot doing all the improv correctly you allow yourself to be human yeah i think improv can smell and look like improv during improv I think the goal is for it to feel scripted because it's so good. Like, I'm always happy when someone comes up to us afterwards and there's like, there's no way you didn't write that. Mm -hmm. But it reminds the audience it's improvised when there are those moments where someone breaks or something's not technical. Like, there's like a huge mess up or something or like, I don't know, like those physically silly moments that feel very improvised. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that good improv can smell and look like improv. And same thing with sketch. I want my sketch to be super tight. I want my sketch to be super scripted and rehearsed. If it feels too improvised, then I'm like, oh, but they could have just improvised this then. Mm -hmm. So... 
and multifaceted Doug has a sketch group called Pop Roulette. He does sketch, he does improv, he raps, he makes the beats. Doug, what is your favorite moment you've ever had on stage? Oh my God, that's such a, that's a big question. Um, okay, so this is, uh, I, when I get asked that, I think this might be it. There's been a lot of really special moments with people, you included, Pop Roulette included, um, North Coast included. Uh, mod included, but I think the thing that I really loved was during the Inspirado run, we <laughs> did the seventh of eight shows was our final challenge, and it was, we had, the challenge was we had to do improv with someone off the street. So they had to literally go out onto 29th between 7th and 8th and grab the first person who would do it, who would do the show with us. He was like an 80-year-old man named Marty. I heard about this. And he was crushing a Dr. Pepper. And he he finished it as he walked into the theater. He was on his cell phone. And he tells the person he's on the phone with, as he's walking into the magnet, he goes, Hey, I gotta go. I gotta do this thing real quick. <laughs> <laughs> the entire house went nuts when he said that line. He hadn't even walked on stage yet. So then he walks on stage with us, does 99% of the show sitting down, just responding to what we said. I have a picture of Marty, by the way. And every line he said got an applause break. He was just a charming old New York guy. Like, man. And he was, like, barely moving. And, like, we made him do, a, like, a Freud therapy scene. We did a Food Godfathers weird thing with him where he was just, like, trying to do the voice, too. So he was, like... <laughs> Like he tried to sound like the like a like an old mobster, and after the show, like the like, it was just one of the best shows I've ever been in. So yeah, and the audience on your side, on they just side they're they entirely yeah and they Marty's bought into it. Yeah. yeah, the positivity. And I had a really bad day that day because I was moving and I felt like I had made a mistake moving out of my apartment. And I like got really emotional after the show because it was like the, such a low low during the day on such a high high. And mm-hmm. you know how that like fucks with your like how you're feeling that day. And I was just like on an elevator. I was just like, oh my God. It's like such a cathartic release. Yes. Yeah. I, I sometimes think that doing improv in the comedy thing is all highs and lows. Running yeah. a theater for me is all highs and lows. Oh how do God. you find the middle ground as one of the busiest busy bees I've ever met? How do you keep yourself sane? Finding things outside of comedy that I really like is is very important. Three things. Cycling, watching Shark Tank, and <laughs> watching Barefoot Contessa. So two are ridiculous reality TV shows, right? A cooking show oh, cooking. and a reality show. God, cooking shows just make me fucking hungry. Well, that's what Boris, my roommate, says. He says it's like it's like porn. It's like I can't, like I'm not engaging in this. It's like just makes him upset. Watching watch. porn without being able to get off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you don't even get to masturbate because there's no food there. Have you ever watched porn with other people in the room? Yeah. Really? Of course. What, how, what, when? I've never, uh, never. Well, I was in middle school. We would sometimes put it up for a second with like a friend. And then uh, <laughs> I've watched it with uh, people I was sleeping with. Okay. We watch it together. You know, I think I've done that too. That's fun. 
It is fun. It's sort of like the the background. Oh, if we need to pep it up for a second. I did remember I used to watch MTV's Undressed. That was like my first sexual TV show. Oh, yeah. And I'll never forget. I was with one of my friends and a gay moment happened. You know, Undressed was way ahead of the times. Now mm-hmm. everybody's gay. Yeah, everybody everybody's gay now. Everybody's gay. Yes, yes, queen. Uh, yes, queen. <laughs> the yes, queen hat on. <laughs> if you don't like the gays, you're out of style now. But back then, I remember there was a gay moment and my friend who was next to me, his, his little reaction was, ew. Yeah. Like that was my first time of being like, oh, I was really into that. Am I wrong? Right. What right. is wrong? I am damaged. Yeah. Those little moments. He might be the gayest one because he said, ew. He's he's gay. actually uh, got a son and he's definitely not gay. But Okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. You don't know. Even though he's got a son, he still might be the gayest. Mm, maybe. <laughs> he is divorced. Sometimes the people who have those like visceral no reactions are the deepest in the closet. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, best moment on stage you just gave. What was your worst? Or the one you... I was really embarrassed. I was in this spank one time uh, that rehearsed one time. And it was like an improvised game show. And we just shit the bed for 30 minutes straight. It was like, I remember walking off being like, oh my God, I'm never going to be invited to perform at UCB again. Mm. It was maybe six years ago. And it was just extremely undercooked. And with like the emails going out were vague, the rehearsal was vague, and we walked on stage and just bombed for thirty minutes. Yeah, and you're a guy that really likes to put the work in. Mm-hmm. You, I, I mean that that's part of why I'm so impressed that you can manage so many things. And you're you're more than just a performer, Doug. You are a producer. You have an LLC, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and North Coast does. So, what does that do for you to be a producer as well as a guy that you know gets invited to shows and wants to be on stage and stuff? Well, it adds a lot of responsibility. So you you become the go-to person for certain things that you didn't even sign up for. But people respect that you're able to see a project through. So if I get dates at a theater, like I'm going to make that show happen. I'm not going to cancel two weeks before. You, you see what I'm saying? So there's a certain amount of reliability that comes with being known as a producer. But there's a lot of responsibility as well. But in terms of like financial stuff producers are the ones who are actually making more than actors out in the in the real business i'm not right now but um there's definitely like the side of me that enjoys taking something from conception to realization and an actor for hire sometimes doesn't get to experience what it is to say oh i have this idea for a show i'm gonna email someone who i can work on the script with email actors who can then be in my show email the theater that we can then do it so you get to see something through from an idea to in real time Mm -hmm. and i think that's the joy of producing for me i like producing but um it's usually to be completely honest been a necessary evil it's a bitch it is just Something you have to do until you can get someone else to do it for you who truly loves producing. We now work with a producer. Uh, North Coast does. Right. We have uh, an in-house, on-the-team manager slash producer named Bree Dean Clements, who is incredible. She was um, a technical theater major at NYU, and that is her wheelhouse. She understands how to get a show off the ground. And um, us combined, we I'm the managing director now. So instead of being all uh, a lot of the 
a lot of the small logistics, I can say, oh, I think it can go this way. And she's like, okay, cool. I'll help execute that. Yeah, I remember when I uh, when I launched the annoyance out here, I was doing everything, yeah. and it, it's just so taxing. And there are for people that have both a creative right brain and an analytical and organized left brain. I find myself like what I really get off on is like the right brain stuff, and yet because I have this r- kind of rare ability to do both, I am sucked in because other people tend to drop the ball, right. and there is nothing that is more of a pet peeve to me than dropping the damn ball. Oh, it sucks! Infuriating. Yeah. Yeah, it's horrible when people blow like your spank you just said blow an opportunity how dare you yeah oh i mean it's it's so frustrating and when people drop the ball it's like then you don't want to trust them again and when there's no money on the line you're like well i guess i'll do it because i'm not gonna let this project fail you know there's no incentive other than the project not failing that your name's attached to so it's just a frustrating thing when you have to do this thing or you won't get to perform yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I also feel like don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I definitely 100%. am too stressed out about things going just right. Yeah. But uh, there, if you don't put in the effort, you know, you can't guarantee that your thing's going to be an A+. Right. But sometimes you got to push that boulder up a hill. I wish everything was pushing it downhill, like how I feel about this happy karaoke cast now. It's like finally easy. But that took six years of going through all these different casts right. for it to finally work out. There's a very natural progression of people leaving, joining for like a couple months. They go, oh. Oh, this isn't for me. We never had any really difficult like moments where we were like, God, it's just not working. And like, eh, you know what I mean? I just feel like, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's been a pretty natural progression in terms of the cast evolution. Mm-hmm. And for North Coast as well? No. no. Okay, you had We've to get had rid of many, pe- many people in the past who did not want to leave, but they weren't. They couldn't rap, so we had to let them go. They could not rap. I remember. Well, that was in the very beginning. It was in the very beginning. There was the early cast. No one knows the early cast. I, If I said the names, you wouldn't even know. I have the Ooh. same thing with Happy Karaoke Fun Time. Yeah. People like, God knows why I asked them to do it. It was a learning experience, you know? And those are fine, fine comedians. This just wasn't for them. Like, what we were looking for was people who could freestyle extremely confidently and improvise. So. Uh. The travails of managing improv shows. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole thing. I mean, it's it's funny. Now, like, there is definitely this business side to improv, and there are many theaters all over the country that are doing real business now. It's not just theater sports that's, like, a big company anymore. Comedy UCB sports? A, theater sports? There's theater sports and comedy sports. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Theater sports is a can- Canada thing. Ooh. Um, and they're a big company. UCB, even though, um, like, they're pretty punk rock in terms of the theater side, like, the classes, that's major That's major business. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I wonder if we'll be alive to see a, a comedy theater that, you know, I, I don't think it'll ever I'm not going to say what I was going to say go public or something but that's that would be crazy but because um, it would never franchise big enough to any in order to do that I don't know how much what company would, what would be the stock symbol for the comedy theater that goes public it'd be a beer logo being poured down a drain I don't know <laughs> be be our like burr or yeah, something yeah. like well, and the hope of every comedy institution is that that performers will go through it and then go on to other things. But it's kind of like we're experiencing very similar to what stand-ups experienced in the 90s where they were like, oh, we're not getting paid and that's fine. And nobody expects to get paid to do improv. I don't ex- get expect to pay most of the time to do improv or sketch. But 
it's interesting because the business of improv right now kind of looks the way pre-strike stand-up business looked. Mm-hmm. Where it was like, cool. no, you're going to go on. You're going to have a television show. So you, you won't need us soon. But it's like, yeah, but every time I come back to the comedy store over the next 10 years, what am I, is it always going to be like that if when I'm working out material? So the, the stand-up community has its own stuff. I don't even know what I'm saying. I hope I hope I get an angry email from this podcast. <laughs> well, like, I think it goes back to the point of, like, how hard it is for things to happen. Like, I see industry come to shows that I think are amazing, and I invite them, I comp them, and then, like, it's just rare that things actually take off, and, and that can be sad, and life is about letting go, and... And speaking of letting go, this is a podcast that, you know, you and I share comedy together, but it's also a podcast about people who exemplify their inner sparkle. Yeah. That I have asked. People who exemplify it. So how would you describe your inner sparkle, Dougie? Uh, Well, my inner sparkle, I would say, is very musical. I love to, like, make up songs all the time. Yes. And I love to see the side of people inside of them that's, like, their true self. Like, I love to look past people's, like, I'm a, oh, hi, hello. Like, I'm, like, this serious adult. I like to kind of see past that to, like, maybe what they were as, like, a kid or something. Uh Uh-huh. I I just like I, I love getting to know the real person behind someone and not the person that they put on to get through life so my inner sparkle is like it's very silly is what i would say i love yeah um okay rapid fire questions go this is in what's that guy the actors act, what's that thing and uh an actor prepares it's that james dude he has Franco? the no. It's like you know. What would you say at the oh, pearly oh, gates oh, of heaven? Oh, 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 inside the actor's studio. Great. This is inside the Sparkle Studio. Oh, <laughs> All I right, love ready? it. All right, Philip Lipton. All right, Philip Lipton. Uh, I'm Philip Lipton. <laughs> oh, uh, I've got a tea and I've got some questions. Oh my god. Um, okay. I sort of said this for myself earlier, but what are your pet peeves? Uh. uh rude rude people being rude yeah rude yeah great um i thought it was rapid fire i thought you wanted quick answers you are good i i say things and then i think i mean them and then i just completely 180 um what is uh a moment when you doubted yourself the most these are two negative ones to start off with but Um, we'll get happy school beginning of school when i first started training it's hard it was really hard work Someone said this school. once, like, uh, the guy from NPR said this. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I can never remember names either. Ira Glass. Yes. Like the, when you first start, you have good taste, but you're not good at it. Yeah. And the yeah. gap between your taste and talent is what yeah. you work on. Yeah. Uh, okay. Very cool. Uh, if you could come back as an animal, like the movie The Lobster, what animal would it be? A Scottish Terrier. Why? Because they're the best, and I've grown up having Scotties, and I love them so much. They're independent, brave, but fun dogs. Love. What's the raunchiest thing you've done that you can share on this podcast? Um, I made out with three people one time at the same time. Like it was like, uh, like making out with three people. At uh, the same time. genders. Three women. Okay. And we all went to brunch, and then we all ended up at one of their dorms, just started making out. A harem. A harem of women. <laughs> um, 
Is there a line? Maybe an improv, maybe just in life. What's the line? What's the line? Mm-hmm. What's like, the line like, that, pe- that you're like, don't cross this line? Don't cross this line? Um, Is there a line for me? There really isn't. On like, stage as well? I mean, I don't. I wouldn't want to get peed on on stage or something. <laughs> but if it was the audience was losing their minds for it, maybe it'd have to be earned. I think you can do anything. You just have to earn it. The the problem when people do the shock value stuff and it gets no laughs, it's because it's not earned. I think there's no corner of the truth that you cannot find yourself up in, but you can't teleport to that corner you have to take the it's this neil casey quote have you ever heard the neil casey quote no give it to me you can go to crazy town but you just have to take the local you can't take the express train to crazy town i sort of agree with that and i've also started improv scenes with annie donnelly one of my favorite performers also has been interviewed on Sparklecast by coming out and going queens witches witches fight (laughs) like and just like (laughs) like because we love performing with each other so much that like i've literally started at crazy town sometimes it Uh, works if but you have to be even more committed you have to backtrack well and yeah you have to be a hundred percent committed you cannot go oh no now we're not doing that and then what you have to do is take the logic and draw the line back to the earth so you can start from the kite in the sky but the string has to come back down Mm -hmm. or the kite is just going to go which way the wind blows it but if you hold and draw down a string back to the earth then that kite is going to go along for the ride so you can go as insane as you want to but you have to always make sure that there's that logic leading back to reality and gravity, unless you're doing something absurdist on purpose. Dadaism or something, Dadaism. which I'm a big fan of. Yeah, and I think that's fine too. I'm open to that, but usually that's not actually going to be the, for me, most comedy is going to come out of the tension that comes out of bouncing absurdity off of real life. That's how you get that tension, because in my opinion, comedy is the release of tension. Yes. So you got to find that tension by bouncing it off of what we all deem as usual. That's why humor tends to be subjective across cultures, because what maybe a a French person thinks is usual, I might not think is usual. So we might laugh at different things because different things create tension for both of us. Two thoughts, and this is one from Susan Messing, who's an amazing teacher at The Annoyance. Uh, We do an exercise where we do, first of all, what you just said, which is a straight man grounding the scene in Mm. base reality and then a freak. And it's the classic sitcom. You know, it's it's the most common type of uh, interacting with unusual things. Then she has a person come out, and rather than saying this is the base reality in the real world, we shift the base reality to the freaks world. So the freaks being a freak and we say nothing is unusual about anything they are doing. They're, they are the president. They are the most wise person in the world. This is a world where the freak is king. Mm-hmm. And base reality doesn't matter. And I've seen that be shocking in New York where it's like, oh, my God, they're not calling out the unusual thing. It's just it's just protecting the freak and saying the freak's way is the normal way. Yeah. That's interesting. And then the third it thing is she interesting. does. It creates a, a, a cre- the air changes in the room. Yeah. When, and not every scene's going to be like that, but it's an option that people don't always know. It is an option. You don't see it in New York a lot. I agree. I saw her do it. I went to Chicago. I saw her and uh, uh, what's his name? Joe Bill. I saw them do two prov and she played a character that the whole room stopped while she did it. And he didn't call it out at all. And it was so beautifully strange. And I, everyone was just like, yeah. 
Yeah. It also brings to mind there's this exercise that I've done called steak potato parsley where there's a steak and potato having a scene and then someone in the background who most people tell to not draw focus, but Mm -hmm. I allow them to. And you get this kind of split duality where like there's two people having a grounded emotional scene and then someone just taking out a sniper rifle behind them and slowly loading it and never explaining why he or she is killing them. No justification, just the magic of two things happening at once. Mm -hmm. And both played fully, allowed to... Not like, oh, I can't steal focus. Mm -hmm. Um, The third thing Susan teaches, which is the surrealism, is two freaks. Both are completely insane. A third freak enters. Everyone's being fucking crazy. And that sometimes is what gets me off more than anything. Yeah, I love that stuff. As long, you know, for me, I, 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 there is no limit to how strange a show can be. As long as you handle, you know, as long as it doesn't, I mean, caricature sometimes can derail things, but is. I, I completely agree with you. I love freaks. Yeah. Freaks hanging out. But I also love your kite thing. I have a class right now that is kind of doing the... Some people with the annoyance are like, I'm going to be weird for the sake of being weird because that's the annoyance vibe. And it doesn't work because instead of the kite metaphor, I say, well, what's human about this? Okay, you're two crocodile witches named Smilvia. <laughs> but like, what is I'd the human thing between the two of you as you play in crazy land right. what and is human and it ends up being a, like basically an analogy to roommates so it's two crocodiles named smovia but then it's like you need to clean your dishes right and then that's the human element yeah or it's like i've always had feeling for you but we're just friends mm-hmm. but sometimes best friends have feelings for each other oh smovia oh smovia <laughs> Have you ever just done solo improv? I have twice. And it was bizarre. It's and bizarre. It really I hate fun. it. It's it's just I think there's a, some big challenges with it and I think you if you want to do it you have to be very calm up there. Almost serene because the impulse when the adrenaline hits because nobody's so competent at it that they're doing it all the time there's very few people only Blaine Swen did I was going to mention of it yeah um and I asked him and he told me he goes the trap is is to be that improviser that does solo improv and is running around the stage he said what you have to do is calm and ground yourself and if you're going to play a second character in a scene walk to that character so that you can really breathe between each beat and that the unconscious can catch up mm. because, and I agree when I did it, I found myself running around the stage like a madman and that's fine. But unless you're Jim Carrey, it's not everyone's brand. Robin Williams. Robin Williams. And, all, and also studio. it's just, even those guys, I saw Robin Williams do long form. He wasn't running around the stage like a madman. He was trying to play with his fellow improviser. And when you are doing solo improv, you have to improvise as if there are other improvisers you're playing with and reacting off of. Yeah. I'll never forget monologue class where they asked the question, is a monologue one person on stage? And the answer was no, it's two or more. It's you and acting for the person the audience can't see. It's not yeah. just you in a vacuum. Absolutely. Um, we've mentioned performers we idolize. We've mentioned teachers that have influenced us. You are a teacher as well. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship and what do you love about teaching? Oh, I love teaching. I teach hip hop improv primarily. I have taught some other electives, um, and I have taught a little bit of writing electives with Pop Roulette. I love teaching. Uh, I My relationship to it is that when I was new, I was super zealous, like to the point where I might have like 
overstuffed my students' heads with stuff. And as the longer I teach, the more I'm into cumulative curriculum. So I'm all about now is like, okay, here's the skill. Do the skill the first time. Reinforce the skill. Pocket that skill and teach a new skill that uses that skill. Mm -hmm. How does that skill help you with this skill? Do that skill. Reinforce that skill. Now you have two skills. And watching how things in sequence learn to the next step. And then when you're doing that, it's that, have you ever read The Prophet by Khalil Gibran? No. It's one of those ideas that knowledge is something you lead someone else to that they already had in them the whole time. And you have to make sure that people really get what you're teaching them before you move on. And um, I learned a lot about teaching from studying with Rachel Rose. I'm not studying, teaching with Rachel Rosenthal from North Coast. She is what was named the, I think it was 2014 Pitt Teacher of the Year. And she teaches a lot. She's a very in-demand coach, has to turn, you know how coaches go when they're constantly turning down gigs. And that's that's Ray Rowe. Um, and my friend Sebastian Canelli, he's constantly turning down coaching gigs. And, um, and I think that she helped me say, how does everything equal the last thing that you're teaching so that by the time people get too advanced, they're truly advanced. Yes. Um, sometimes I in my class by, first of all, I don't want people to take notes. One of my best acting teachers, Mary Poole, shout out love, yeah. um, said, Jimmy don't, Tripp, same thing. Like, you're going to remember what you remember. And you, you, you can't remember everything even if you tried. Um, and something I end my classes on is, okay, it's impossible to remember everything. What is one thing that you're going to put in your pocket that you can literally implement between week one and week two? What is one thing? Mm-hmm. And you'll remember other things too, but like, boil it down. Right. Boil it the fuck down. Okay, you said the prophet. I love the alchemist. Uh, I'm the most stereotypical, boring person in the world. I've I've read the alchemist on the coast of Greece at a very difficult time in my life. And after I read it, I screamed into the ocean. And the ocean spoke back to me and it said, scream all you want. Men have screamed at me for centuries. I can take it. I love it. That's how I read The Alchemist. <laughs> you know, in a difficult time, we all go through screaming at ocean faces. Yeah, or um, screaming in our car, driving home, screaming. Screaming. Punching the, punching the wall in your car, and then getting home, and then crying at the moon. <laughs> you started it. I know. I'm kind of wondering what the most violent thing you've ever done is. I know. I, I think I know mine. I broke a kid's leg in swim practice. Ricky, you were so mad at him, you broke his leg? Yeah, I think he like attacked me or was just being a dick or something, and I knew karate at that time, and I pinned his leg against the wall and broke it. Haven't ever, I don't think, punched someone since or done violence, but I did do that, and my parents were going to have a lawsuit with someone. Like, it was crazy. Wow. What about you? Most violent, verbal, or physical thing you've ever done? Oh, Admit God. it, Doug. Tell the truth. I pushed a kid against the wall once uh, for saying stuff about me. And um, I got like really like on his face, but then not no serious physical altercation. Oh, there was one time I was I was in this band and we were all messing around, and I like 
was doing a bit with a door and I like slammed it on my friend Seamus's head too hard. And we were, we were like not okay for two years after that. Jesus. And he just like, he was like not okay after the door slammed into his head. And, um, I've thought about that a lot since, you know, it's, you was know it an accident? Ones? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wasn't oh. like, I mean, we were all, it, we were playing rough Oh yeah. and I played too rough in that moment. Well, you have to learn, yeah. you know, dogs learn. Dogs get rough at the dog park, and then they yeah. learn their boundaries. Yeah. Um, dogs learn. Little, my favorite learn. thing about dogs is that they all think they're the same size. So yes. they go up to other dogs, and they're like, that's how big I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it's interesting that we've talked about so many kind of dark things, but I think that, you know, Sparkle Cast, it's about whimsy, but, like, every bit of whimsy is attached to darkness. Like, if you're just selling the whimsy, you're not, mm. you're not painting the whole picture. Right. Yeah. Well, it's because the cover is not attached to what built the cover in the first place. I or think? double side of the coin. Yeah. We could metaphor forever. We um, could. But back to the alchemist, I'm at a point in my life where I wonder, I'm feeling this urge, this calling between wanting to just be a creative and also running a theater and administrative and just doing, doing, doing. And what's difficult is that in perfect world, I would have both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. I would be able to shut off the left brain that wants to check email constantly, and I would protect the right brain. And I've been in therapy, and I've set goals for that, and they've all failed. Yeah. And so part of me is like, throw out the thing that you don't like and commit yourself and your organizational talents to just doing the scary thing, which is being an unpaid performer trying to make something happen. Yeah. How do you, well, first of all, what's your advice on my conundrum because in the alchemist they say there's a calling and if you don't follow that calling you get bitter what is your advice dougie for me and by advising me for yourself well i definitely need to read the alchemist now because you just saying that calling and the bitterness thing sounds exactly like the truth i uh i have the same problem that you are describing the one the part of me that wants to check emails and do things to support myself that aren't my main calling which is to perform record create make things constantly i just want to make things tell stories move people make them laugh make them think i love the act of creating and moving people um not creating people but creating things yet people you'll be baby father i'll be baby daddy one one day day. maybe Uh, (laughs) i shudder to think what your children will be like god they're gonna be little chicken nuggets (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh no they'll probably be super serious accountants because i'm so silly we rebel against our parents yeah so um it's true uh it's true i think you are right i think it's fear ultimately and you have to push through boundaries to push through those fears it's very, very difficult, but I think that it's that same thing we were talking about earlier with the iron glass and your taste and your talent. We are afraid to suck for a long time at anything. And that's why people who start as a kid in certain fields have such a huge advantage because they can suck when it's acceptable to suck. Yeah. Whereas when you're 23 and you're taking voice lessons and you're still flat all the time, people are like, yeah. Sing out, Louise. Yeah, sing out. Whereas you're 15, it's like, he's 15. Let him be flat. But I didn't get serious about singing until I was 19. But I started playing guitar when I was six. So now there's like 
this part of me that understands the the suck period happens and you just kind of have to live in it. Mm -hmm. And I think for you, if you want to rid yourself of this intense organizational side of yourself and just be free Philip, you could, you would still have to figure out how to support yourself. Which is the problem. Yeah, is it with- possible just to treat it like a job? I It's entrails are in my brain. The need to check emails about a thing I love, which is running the annoyance. like yeah. Or just any sort of running happy karaoke we've talked about a lot. You'd need to have it stripped away from you. You would need to have your responsibilities stripped. You'd literally need to get the password changed. So that you can rewire that deep. You know how snow gets deeper every time you go through the same little patch of it? Uh-huh. You'd have to rewire that. It's be- It would be physically painful. You'd experience withdrawals, in my opinion. Wow. Um, well, the comment on your, it's got to be bad before it gets good. This is just a thought I've had a lot, just a tangent. First five minutes of any first date are terrible. You got to let yourself off the hook. I do not even think about the first five minutes. I, every time has been awkward. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and maybe you walk up to each other and you're like, oh, that's how they walk. Oh, and then you wave and you're like, oh, wow, that's okay. Wow, we're waving. And then you sit or maybe you don't because the okay. there's a wait for your reservation and it's just always awkward so maybe the you know if i make a big move like that you just got to let the first five months five years five minutes be awkward and painful right um and let let you redefine yourself to everybody i um i really don't like that we let ourselves live the lives people think we live i think we should be allowed to live the lives we want to live and let everyone deal with that Mm. look at prince look at five one He's like a tiny dude who it became a sex god. And any other five, you know, anybody who he was just like, he's such a perfect example of strange. Like we all had to deal with Prince. You know, we didn't get to define him. He defined himself. Yes. I, I just wonder, like. So when I left Chicago and I cut ties, like, and I moved to New York with very little other than, you know, going to start classes for the annoyance, which were very much like, is this even going to work? Um, and uh, doing a show in the fringe. I had nothing. But it was one of the most exhilarating car drives. I remember the U-Haul of my life. I felt alive. And the idea of cutting ties again is thrilling. Like a part of me wakes up. The sparkle in me wakes up of the challenge. Yeah. But am I just going to keep living my life cutting ties to excite myself? Or yeah. is there a harder balance yeah. where you don't let yourself be consumed by your left brain, but you also you manage it? Like I keep telling myself there's a way to manage both these needs. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you should make lists about the way your time is divided up. And it sounds like you have a strong amount of wanderlust. This 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 need to run away from things when they get serious or unfun. And then when that new thing gets serious or unfun, because remember, if you were a full time working actor, you'd have to memorize lines all the time. You'd have to go on auditions that you don't want to go on when you don't like the script. There's plenty of parts of being an actor that are going to be just as tedious as running the annoyance. It's just new things. You might be on set waiting for seven hours for your one line while the guy affects the does the light reflector. So. Every single job has its jobby job parts. Life, unfortunately, unless you're one of very few people, there are tedious parts of life that don't feel like a vacation. And 
there's many hours of life that don't feel like a vacation work and it sucks and your back hurts or your knee hurts or whatever and we want to run away to that new sexy destination both in real time and in our minds like for me i've daydreamed about los angeles a plenty and i think that for you the idea of running away from your responsibilities as someone who manages the theater you might you might want to act on it but you might want to temper how much you act on it maybe delegate split the responsibilities 50 50 yeah how it's hard when i it's hard when i walk in and the ac is not is someone who forgot to turn it on the theater point like i get i get stressed out and i should also say i really love my job at the annoyance i love what we have fostered there but the the problem is is that i get set off like a fucking uh screaming dog just like stepped on my tail because that's just how I deal with the stress of that job whereas a bad show like we talked about earlier I actually find instructive it sucks but like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't raise this the hairs on my back the same way when administrative work is a slog so I got to think about that. Yeah. You think about that. Okay. We have been talking. We, we went very long and it's very fun because I really enjoyed it. But we end every Sparkle cast with a game that oh, I've designed right. for Dougie. And it's actually going to reference something we talked about earlier, which oh, is your. Go. Yeah. Doug doesn't know the name. <laughs> I know what it is now. Uh, Dougie, you, I love setting you up to name names. So I'm going to play some care. We're going to, we're actually going to take turns. I'm going to do a character with a line that sums up the character and a voice of the character. And you're going to name me and then you go and i name and we're gonna go real fast are you ready yeah okay uh uh just give me a suggestion just to start us off okay uh swimming pool i can't wait to get my feet wet carl figaro (laughs) um are you guys out of beignets sarsaparilla shingali (laughs) um hey you get out of the deep end court filibuster (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm exhausted because my shoes have were on backwards. Uh, grunt Grindle Snatch. Nice. Um, <laughs> um, I don't mean to brag, but he's the best son I could ever have hoped for. Leela Thismus Cantata the Third. <laughs> Hey guys, um, I know everybody met up for book club uh, without me, but I was wondering if you guys could catch me up. Um, uh, uh, Patricia Ernest. Um, and uh, maybe if you don't have a date to the uh, dance. Sheldon Naismith. <laughs> That's my favorite one so far. <laughs> one more. Oh God, weddings make me tired. Oh, oh. Horace Fellatio. <laughs> All right. That's the game. Yay! That's the name game. Thank you, Dougie, for being my guest. Uh, I've really enjoyed um, both our talk about comedy, but also our ruminations on life itself. Thanks for having me, Philip. It was really fun. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening for the Sparkle Cast. And that's a wrap. You can check out Doug at his website, DougWydick.com. And a big shout out to Sweet Tea Studios. That's Doug's recording studio where you can book affordable rates. That's where we recorded this guy, and it was swell as F. Go to SweetTeaStudiosBK.com to check that out. 
This is going to be the last Sparkle Cast for a little bit. We're taking a hiatus, but all eight of our episodes that we have done so far are streaming on SoundCloud or philipmarkle.com, my website. And as always, sparkle on, bitches. Thank you.